0: Aloha, Warriors Joshua Loia, aka Joshua the Jedi. I have with me um, a a real uh, American uh, sword master, uh, master Dana Abbott. How are you, sir?
1: Well, well, very, very well. How are you doing today?
0: Doing well. It's 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 weird. We haven't actually uh, been in each other's presence in what a little over a year. We usually see each other every year in Las Vegas at the at the Super Show and. Obviously, things are a little different this year, but but uh, glad to be able to connect on this. And, of course, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Grandmaster Scott does send his regards to you as well.
1: We'll say hi back to him, of we course. We will do. Yes, yes. This year has been a little bit different, but for me, it's been a nice vacation away from everybody. Hey, you know, I'm a loner. What can I say?
0: <laughs> well, and you're a little bit off the beaten path. I mean, not not that many people, you know. There's this fantasy that that a lot of uh, you know young men growing up in in the U.S. have, especially you know, uh, say my generation and a few decades older. Well, maybe a little bit, or all around, a lot of us always wanted to go to Japan and study with real Japanese swordsmasters. And and you've done a whole bunch of stuff, but that is one of the things that you've done. I mean, you've spent decades uh, studying da- Japanese swordsmanship. And I think at least 15, maybe more of those years in Japan itself, uh, if yes. I have that right.
1: Yes, I had, it was good stuff. It was really good stuff. Plus I've been married into the culture now for almost 34 years. So between the wife and the kids and the kendo and the swordsmanship from 1984, I'm pretty much plugged into keeping my mouth shut and knowing when to talk and when not to talk.
0: Or when to cut and run, if you know what I mean. (laughs) (laughs) So before you moved to Japan, did you – you know, grow up doing martial arts as a young kid, or or was that a, a later in life sort of thing? It
1: was more of a later in life thing. Uh, originally, back in about 1964 or 65, I was living over in the San Francisco Bay Area, and I had an older brother, and he went over to UC Berkeley and did a little bit of judo. Which, of course, being the little brother, they took me along because of who's course. he going to throw at home?
0: So <laughs> it's all- easier to throw somebody smaller than you.
1: Hey, it works. It works. <laughs> so uh, he liked it And uh, for about, I guess, a semester, because I don't remember the time frame, I learned how to fall and everything like that. So that kept me from being clumsy all those years. But it wasn't until September 16th, 1978, when I really got involved with martial arts. I was out of Arizona State University. I was working for Yavapai County as a surveyor. And there was this little place called the Police Athletic League. And they had martial arts there. So I practiced punching kick with, you know, uh, the county people and sheriff's department and police department. And that's what got me involved when, you know how small Prescott, Arizona is because that's where I was a surveyor. Remember that movie, Billy Jack?
0: Uh, I haven't seen it, but I, 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 you know, it's I'm sure a lot of our listeners have.
1: Yeah, well, like the fight in the court court town, courtyard and stuff like that. That was the little town I lived in. So that was a really interesting time and interesting places. And it really got you interested in martial arts back in the seventies because it was new and unique and it was not everybody on the street did it. Sure.
0: We didn't know anything. I mean, you know, I, I, I came of, of age in the eighties and nineties, but I remember even as a young kid, you know, growing up in that, we still didn't know anything about you know, like, got Bruce Lee and, and, and Mr. Miyagi and, and you know, Jackie Chan were like kind of like our, our reference points for a lot of that.
1: Well, before that, it was Jackie Chan, like the drunken master. Yeah. And then a little bit of Bruce Lee, because in seventy seventy one he was pretty good in the movies. Yeah. Um, there was that David Carradine who did that TV program. But sure. The before other he was, did
0: any Kung Fu for real. I mean, I don't think he actually got into martial arts practice himself until – you know, well after the series had ended, I think.
1: Well, he was more of a motion person. He was more of an actor yeah. than a martial artist. But hey, that's how it goes. I'm more of a martial artist than an actor. That's why no one knows me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, nobody knows you outside of the martial arts community, and that's that is the thing. Is I wanted to have you on because of I mean, you've had a, a pretty awesome life, uh, and you are pretty well regarded and known, at least within the martial arts community in specific.
1: Yes, I do get a lot of beer if I ask.
0: <laughs> and, and, and you make some of your own beer, apparently. I do,
1: too. I do, too. You know, had to do something with my children. <laughs> so we uh, started doing beer over this last summer since there was something to do together, you know. There you yeah, go. Yes.
0: So um, so you, you started. And the thing is, you're talking about, you know, training with the police and sheriff in, in, uh, yes. in Prescott. You know, that's there's a thing that a lot of people, you know, most of us. Um, at least, you know, living in the U S don't have to worry for the most part. Um, it, you know, like I think, uh, what is it? The, the last statistic I've heard, uh, Grandmaster Scott likes to mention this one is, uh, one in three of us will ever actually need to use any of this stuff on, on average. Yes. Um, and it, you know, so you were training with people who weren't. It's it's basically hypothetical training for a lot of us. You know, yes. where we go in and you know we learn how to take a punch, we learn how to how to defend, or, or in your case, um, how to work with a sword or or a magazine, which do hurt. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, but y- you're are training with with people who actually have to use this stuff every day. Yes. And that that probably had a significant influence in your approach to the martial arts as compared with a lot of people who are, you know, they're, uh, you know, they're going to their regular kickboxing gym or or wherever they're going, that, that their only context and expectation for fighting is within the context of a, uh, sanctioned match.
1: Yes. Yes. Um, working with the police departments or the police athletic league and those people, um, it was their second gun and it taught them foundation and not to make stupid movements as sure. far as dealing with people. So as when you say it's your second gun, it just was a lot easier to be more balanced and see things from a distance instead of getting up too close. So if, uh, say, an officer was to... Uh, do the martial arts. He isn't going to come up and punch and kick anybody, but from his car, he will look at the people a slightly different way. Mm -hmm. And since this was Prescott, Arizona and in the middle of nowhere, uh, sheriff people, they didn't have partners and they might've had 1200 square miles to work by themselves. So you had to be a little bit more cautious or be more like an Eagle and watch everything with a closer eye.
0: Well, and the other thing too is if, um, you know, an officer, or deputy, or what have you, if they have that martial arts background, they're probably not as jumpy and grabbing for their gun. They're able to make the decision that, okay, in this instance, it's called for, this distance, maybe it isn't. Yes. Uh, at least that's my assumption. You know, no, the more, no, that's the more true, tools yes. you have.
1: Yes. Well, it teaches you to think a little bit more, watch, it matures your, what would we say, your reflexes.
0: Yeah. And so well, you that's. Don't, yes. Well, and that's one of the things that like, um, like Jocko Willink, who's a you know, real famous jiu-jitsu guy, you know, former Navy SEAL, one of the things he talks about a lot in terms of dealing with some of their more recent controversies is he, he thinks actually that um, modern uh, law enforcement officers don't need uh, – that they need more training rather than necessarily you know, defund the police, all that kind of stuff. He, he wants to see a, a higher percentage of their time be spent on, on training – and you know, for a lot of it sounds like the officers that you were training with at the athletic club that they were getting a lot more um, than a lot of officers these days get. These days, I think he was saying in the statistics was something like two hours a year on you know restraint methods and 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 you know jiu jitsu techniques and things that would be applicable to to law enforcement. I, I think it sounds like the officers that you were training with, they were able to do in some respects, better than a lot of our officers now. Well, here's
1: the the problem. Not a problem. Here's the change. This was 40 years ago. Sure. Cops back then and now are a little different. Plus, a long time ago, back in the 60s or 70s, They thought that, and I've heard this a couple of times, they thought that uh, cops didn't have to be that strong if they had a radio. Because with a radio, they could contact everybody else and the cavalry would come a lot better. Whereas before they could use a lot of radio contact and not everybody was on one, you had to take care of the situation yourself. Right, you had to be
0: more self-sufficient, right? You
1: had to be, you had to be. So back, you know, say 40 years ago, even though they had more electronics, you still had to be self-reliant And had to be a lawman because if you didn't, uh, something would happen because the cavalry never comes on time. (laughs)
0: <laughs> uh, you know you, you can it's, it's great when you have the backup you don't always get it right? you don't
1: always get it you don't always get it so all the training in this day and age is more politically correct how to make sure you don't get someone mad or you do this or you do that but if you think about it in real law enforcement by the time a law officer or a law a person of the law comes it can't be beat around the bush it has to be direct simple and get the job done anything else is just teaching civics if that makes any sense
0: it does it does and i I think you know we have a tendency to kind of be you know and i say like whatever the current generation is you know i'm I'm at that very tail end of generation x myself so you know i used to be the young guy now i'm the older guy a little bit and 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 so you know kind of see we think oh we're the 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 evolved generation we know how it works and we kind of Forget well, what are the problems that the you know 30 people 30 years ago they were dealing with and maybe we can take a page and actually learn something just a little bit and, and, and maybe upgrade what we're doing now.
1: Hey, that sounds pretty good. For example, in, in Japan with the police department, because I worked with all the police and military there too, mostly police. And uh, when you go and do kendo over in Japan at different universities, uh, you, a lot of times you end up being a policeman or fire or first responder. And those guys either learn kendo or judo. So if you're bad-mouthing an a officer and he plays kendo or judo, no matter what you do, bang, you're on the ground.
0: <laughs> and a lot of people have this misnomer about um, people who do kendo its like oh that's just like uh, sophisticated. and and this, these are not my words because I've been at the receiving end of, of some of your students uh, the you know a lot of people some oh well that's just like you know uh, live action role playing with, with, with consequences. And it you know, is,
1: I, I, it is if you think that way it is, if you don't go to Japan and study your life, it is, <laughs> if you think you get a boffer and you're out there in the park hitting people, it is, if you're 50 pounds overweight, it is, if you don't do it in succession every day. So yeah, sure. for most people, it's just role playing, for the samurai 300 years ago, their role playing was just a little bit tougher. So you could say <laughs> we went from wood to Hatsuwadis, to Shinai, as far as using you know bamboo to, to hit people with. But these people that talk about role-playing, they've never been hit by a Japanese role-player, I guess, because that changed the whole movie they're thinking about. So a lot of times when you're dealing with people that are naysayers or dream-stealers or poo-poo-awayers, because I run into those people all the time.
0: I'm all sure my, you
1: do. All my teachers always said, they'd point to them and say, those people aren't worthy. That's all. They just have excuses not to do it. If they would do yeah. it, they would. They would have. They would be buff and quiet, and they'd have a good job <laughs> because they'd be productive members of society. And that's how the Japanese mindset sees this stuff.
0: Sure. Yes. So going over from so you started at Prescott, just kind of to oh, Prescott's
1: called Prescott, not Prescott. Oh. Prescott is for. Uh, what for, do you call that? Out of,
0: Snowbirds. Out-of-towners?
1: Yeah, out-of-towners. It's Prescott.
0: Well, I'm a Californian, so you know I, I say things a little differently. I yeah. Guess,
1: you know. Yes, Prescott. <laughs> <laughs> you need a, a bandana around your throat then.
0: <laughs> do, do I do I need to make sure I eat more uh, yogurt and granola too? Well, no, no, it?
1: no, 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 no. They don't eat yo- well. They do now. It's changed. No,
0: I meant no. Right, but being from out of town, you know, that's the stereotype from from people in California that we we like our, our Birkenstocks and our granola and our, our kombucha and stuff. You know? Sounds like you lived in Santa Cruz. I, I, well, I did. In fact, actually, I so that was the crazy thing. I put something up on Facebook. Yeah, and it turns out that you uh, lived like right in my stomping grounds for a brief period of time.
1: Yes, yes. I lived in Santa Cruz, uh, like from 1982 to about 1984. Do you remember the Crow's Nest?
0: I do. Yeah, it's a great restaurant. I don't know if it's still around uh, anymore. It should be. It should be. I hope so.
1: uh, Just about maybe a three or four minute walk from there is where I lived on the end right next to the beach off of 7th Avenue
0: yeah that' that's so thats so you and I were in the same uh, area for o- overlap of a couple of years, though, you know, I was still trying to figure out how to how to read and 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 walk without stumbling. so I was I was <laughs> a little bit of a different time frame, but um, so you 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 spent some time up in Santa Cruz, then up in Northern California. Uh, yeah.
1: I was born in California. So you okay. know how that, when I was really, really young and sure. still have, well, I had relatives. they're all, you know, grown old and died right, and right. everything. But, uh, yeah, I was born and raised in Northern California up until about fifth, sixth grade. And then I, uh, they moved me.
0: And, and then from, from, uh, Prescott is that, did, did I say it right that time? Yeah. Prescott. Yeah. <laughs> For Prescott, you went to, to, you know, central California, and then eventually made your way to Japan. How did that come about? Because that's that's not something that a lot of people do, clearly.
1: Well, what happened was is I threw my first kick in September about, uh, was it 42 years ago this month, basically. And I threw this first kick and it felt good. And I threw another one and I threw a punch, you know, trying to do a cotta. And it was right. just something that I was anal retentive enough to practice over and over and over and over sure. and over again. And then I was, as I said earlier, I was working with a police athletically because that, that's what got me started on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Your sure. punch can kick. And then I met one of those Rambo type of guys, a guy that that was in the <laughs> army. He was in the Vietnam War. He never came back. One of those weird types. And sure. he he was working at a cornet five and dime. Do you know what a cornet five and dime is, um, or an old I, diner drugstore yeah, where yeah, everything was sure. a penny? Yeah, where you could sit up there and have milkshakes and junk like that. But he was working. Now this guy was a little bit older than me, but he was working um, just as a box boy. You know, one of those, just one of those weird jobs in the military. Right, he's was the just
0: stocking up the, you know, yeah. The whatever. Yeah.
1: So anyway, I heard about him and I walk up to him and I say, Hey, I I hear that you do really good martial arts. Can you show me something? Because that's what you used to say. And he looks at me and he throws a chick right up to my face and he holds it there in front of my nose. And I take my hand, I push down his foot a little bit and I go, Ooh, can you do this with me? So that day for about a year and a half to two years, Three hours a day, seven days a week, we were single males. We guilt-tripped it ourselves to work out really hard. So I started getting the crap beat out of me because this was originally called Korean Kendo. And with Korean Kendo, it wasn't pretty because I wasn't. And they just beat the crap out of you. And since sure. he, he did his military stuff in Korea. So,
0: so basically what you're saying is Cobra Kai has nothing on him.
1: I'll tell you what. <laughs> they're actors. He wasn't. right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that really worked well. So it was about six months into it and I got one in on him. I hit him really nice and hard, knocked him out. He went down like a sack of potatoes, but he got up twice as fast as he went down, wiped his bloody lip and went, hmm, time for weapons. So I started working with three sectional staff first, to work my chest and everything. And then I went to nunchucks and then went to Tomfa and then went to the, the, uh, the, the, the bow spear. But when I put the wood sword in my hand, it was like, this is my weapon. And it, by 1984, beginning of starting, you know, just into 85, I was in Japan working out with the masters. (laughs) <laughs> that, that that's how easy it was. Boom. boom. Let's just say yeah. I was extremely lucky. That's all.
0: Sure. And and what was the like? I I, I suspect that you know it was easier for a Westerner in '85 than it would have been, say, in '55. But that still it probably was a culture shock. Did you run into a lot of? Reluctance in terms of your acceptance to your presence kind no, of a situation? No, no,
1: no, no, I was an American. We won the war. Sure. Even though when they had the Nixon shocks, you know, it is the oil crosses in the seventies. Uh, they lost a lot of respect for America because it sounded like a crying, like a little kid and left them high and dry. So there were a few people that were like, you know, you don't take care of your, your stuff. But as a general rule, it was Great. What was the question again?
0: <laughs> just just, the, you know, the, how receptive people were to ah, your presence. And, yes. And, you know,
1: um, they were really receptive. A lot of them said I hadn't seen an American since World War Two. All my teachers at knee tie dye um, at the Kendo Federation, the Kendo Federations and all those. They were all World War Two vets. And uh, they saw my prowess. They saw my ikioi, they called it. They saw the that I had. And right. uh, they glommed on to it, you know. Our communication was through the movement of the sword, which sure. was pretty fluent. And that worked out nicely. So with all these World War II vets, they could just see things. And you have to remember, too, when you're practicing swordsmanship, swordsmanship in japan is way different than swordsmanship around other parts of the world because it all goes back to the military and i learned a military style which is fast direct to the point it's like well i learned from marines so when you learn from marines you learn the way they learned and if they were teaching you how to shoot an m1 you learn how to do it the marine way with fixed bayonet or if they teach you a japanese kaigun teaches you how to use a sword you're going to learn it that way and it was really simple because remember they don't teach you the philosophy of everything because that takes hundreds of years to learn really but they teach you practical application so you go in there and you're a private the corporals teach the privates you learn a little bit You learn how to do this, you get the crap beat out of you a lot because that's what you need. If you don't get hit, you don't know. But if you get hit, you don't want to get hit again. And that's why they used (laughs) Hotsuwadis or Bamboo, like a Shaddai, but shorter. And they just beat the crap out of you, but you learn to get away. To learn that the best block is no block at all. So when you learn how to get out of the whole way and watch everything from a little bit farther distance, it changes the whole application of the way martial artist thought. Therefore, when you look at most other martial arts, it was made in conjuncture to work after something happened with your sword. So if you look at your sword and you're having at mm. your handle, you look at the gripping process on a sword, same gripping process in jiu-jitsu or jutsu right uh, same process when you grab someone's collar in uh, in judo for example it sure. all follows the same thousand year old kihon
0: sure, sure. And, and you know it's it's funny because um you, you know my experience in in, in kenpo it's kind of a, a, a we go through a broad spectrum of skills um we have <clears throat> Some weapons, nowhere yes. near the amount of detail that, that obviously you focus on in, in the last several decades. Yes. But, um, I did notice as I began to get more immersion and, and kind of concentration on grappling, I started, I did start seeing, um, you know, cause you don't want to jam your thumb when you're going and you're grabbing a collar cause you're going to do a, uh, you know, a throw or, or whatever. And I'd never, I don't know if I ever consciously put the connection, but the, the, um, the way you teach to grip a sword and the way in which, um, you know, what I'm doing, a uh, man, I've, it's been so long since I've done any judo. So I've actually forgotten some of the Japanese names, but you know, like a, you're grabbing the call, you're throwing over or even yes. like a, a uh, where you're grabbing the back of their, their, their jacket as you're doing the hip throw. Yes. It's a saint. It's a very similar thing. You're, you're grabbing with your four fingers, you know like like you do in, in that that area of of pressures right on the 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 ball of your hand right below your fingers not the the thumb grip like a lot it's not like a baseball bat like a lot of people like to do yes um but it, it it's, it's so funny you, you don't always see the consistency of it but now you start pl- pulling back and you look at the long game oh yeah it's like that and that's like that and you kind of it, it the more you start practicing the martial arts and you know for me it's been maybe a little over 15 years you start recognizing it's it's a language and you see the applications of this over here and it's, you don't notice it right away, but you start seeing it after a while. It's true. It's true. And the,
1: t- the way people teach here compared to the way they teach in Japan, it's completely night and day. Here... Everybody wants to be a professor. They got to talk. So if there's a 60 minute class, they're going to be explaining everything away for about 45 minutes. We do a couple of techniques. He explains it away. And in your head, you got it ingrained in your head, but your rote never set in. In Japan, in an hour, if they say more than six words, you're getting bitched at. Mm. So you have to remember that when you practice technique, and they have the old saying, you practice 10,000 times, you know it pretty well. That nah, 10,000 times is made for the white belts. You practice it <laughs> 500,000 times, and then you're starting to play with the big boys. Because in Japan, between a third-degree black belt and a 4th a big black belt, that's the separation between the men and the boys. If you're a fourth or three black belt and above, that means, oh, he's been studying a long time and he has something, you know? So that that's how I want you yeah, to I, see I, it. I do bit. think, yes.
0: I don't know, maybe it's the individualist component of American society. We like to get recognized. Oh, we, we like do. We do. Li- we like to get recognized more than we actually like to be good at anything.
1: Well, it happens. It's it's nice, it's it's feeling good, it's advertising yourself. Now I was more well known in Japan than I am here, uh just because I was the only white guy with round eyes at that time and the only person doing kendo. Now I know there were people around in England and this, they do their kendo and all that, but not mainline kendo the way I did it. Uh, just because no one could spend the 15 years to do it. And that was the biggest thing. It's the time factor and able to put in the time. And uh, it's just really, really hard having to move to a different country with a different Mm -hmm. culture.
0: Did you find that they treated you differently than the Japanese students? No, no, no.
1: But if we were in the military, look at it like this. The Japanese students were like enlisted. The teachers and student teachers were like officers are gods. And uh, myself... I was 28 at the time when I first went over there, so I was at a little older age, but I already had degrees before from college and everything like that, so it it made me a warrant officer. So I had all the action without the responsibility, basically. So that worked in very nicely. So I wasn't browbeat like I would be an average student. So like an
0: eighteen-year-old kid who showed up there for the first time who would have would have a much more difficult time than you did. You
1: uh, hazing is big, but remember, you're going to be hazed, and you're going to be go, being a coming a first responder or a high school or junior high school teacher when you graduate, or a shoe salesman if you didn't do very well. Depending on where you are.
0: Sure, and I think that's the other thing too. Is I, I, it? It's hard for I think for most Americans to grasp the yes. idea that. You know, martial arts isn't, um, like for, for here, you know, a lot of the martial artists that I've met, and this isn't even an impingement against them, but it's a different approach where, uh, you know, they make martial arts, their career, yes. they make martial arts, the thing. And, and, you know, obviously you and I met at a professional convention for martial artists and martial arts instructors, it, at least for a few that, that I've heard of, of the old school masters from Japan, from Okinawa and, and, and that general region of the world, that that's what you do. Martial arts isn't necessarily your main source of income, your main source of notoriety. It's just, it, it helps you to be a, better version of yourself. I don't know if I'm...
1: No, no, you're spot on. You're spot on. See, most all children have to learn kendo or judo, like we had to learn physical education and you learn basketball or football, just to say those two. Sure. Or or baseball. So look at it that way in an American school where, you know, you got to go through junior high school, high school, you got to do the PE requirements. In Japan, it's the same thing, but you're learning kendo or judo. Kendo is made for the hyperactive kids. And judo's made for the slow metabolism kids that are a little heavier, so they can both be team players through society. Now, when you're a hyperactive kid, that teaches you right at a young age, watch for traffic and pay attention to where your surroundings are so you don't get hit by a car because there's lots of cars in Japan. Then you look at the judo and it takes you all the way through old age. So when you slip and fall on the snow, you won't kill yourself. So they ingrain it into your head at a young age to take you through life, to be the best you can be for society and be a team player all the way to death. That will help your base, your foundation and keeping you healthy.
0: Well, and I think too, you know, um, it allows you to think under pressure when you, you're, um, At least for me, what I've had to worry about somebody punching me in the face or or being thrown, you know. Admittedly, again, different culture, different approach, but the the impact to me, you know, not everybody's going to fight, but everybody's going to fall, and so you you do want to fall properly, learn how to not hurt yourself when you do, and you want to be able to think under pressure. I think it's in in again in the U.S. we have this thing where we want to remove the adversity. We want to make it easier rather than, well, let's help you be stronger so you can more effectively deal with the adversity. And I, I feel like that's that seems to be a, a, a healthier approach because it creates resiliency. Because, you know, when you only remove the, the things that are difficult, then when something really bad happens, you have no frame of reference and you panic even more. You know, the people that are handling right now in these weird times we're in, well, they figured out a way they have problem solving skills they're not medicated to death and they're not you know to the point where they have no ability to process high intensity situations it sounds like at least for the people who came up doing judo and kendo in japan that they have an existing framework you know if the, like you wouldn't see the the craziness over here happen no. over there. No, 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 no. But there is, there is. I mean, I now, mean there, I'm sure there is. Yes. I'm, I'm, you know, but I mean, it would manifest very differently. I'm it sure. does,
1: it does. Here is a business. Over there, it's a way of life or a part of the old samurai tradition that Japanese have in their roots that they must do just because if you're a boy and you don't practice, practice kendo, it's sort of like, he ain't a boy. He doesn't know how to do male things. He needs that stick in right. his hand. He needs to know how to measure things. And when that happens, it's just, it's just different here because here it's all about business and in business, you got to do what the customer likes. In Japan, there's no schools. The only school there is that uh, ninja school for the Americans up in Saitama run by Hatsumi Sensei. You know, there's only that one person and he deals with the Americans because the Japanese don't do that much. But things could be changing with the anime and everything. But uh, there, you can't go to a school and find anything. You got to learn your stuff through the Department of Education. And that's why through the Department of Education, there's only two martial arts. In Japan, and that is kendo and judo. Anything else, karate, shotokan, anything like that, is made for the blue-collar worker, and it isn't even part and parcel with the Japanese Department of Education because it's not godly, if that makes any sense. It isn't pure white. It isn't like sumo. It doesn't have right. the, the the context that make all Japanese have a tear to their eye when they see it.
0: Sure. And there's there's a certain I I guess I, I don't know. I feel like I'm cheapening it, but the, there's a certain inborn uh poetry. Oh it is, to it, it, it is, it is, yeah.
1: yeah, it is. For example, when I see an older, let's say 40-something-year-old judo guy and they're good, you don't see meanness in his face you don't see i'm gonna get him and tear him apart or anything like that you see some big huge kid uh, having a rubber raft in front of him jumping off a diving board into the water on top of the raft with a big smile on his face that's what you see because these guys are martial art nerds and they can roll anybody anybody that doesn't speak English go over there. Yeah. They'll be babbling tongues soon. But the guys that are really twisting their arms off and everything like that, they're just smiling. Now here's something I want you to remember. You sure. know, when you take jujitsu down to Brazil, or you take jujitsu to these different countries and then they sure. practice really hard there. That's really, really good. But when they, a the Japanese, they take it back over to Japan, the Japanese don't care if they win or lose as much. As long as they make you happy, that's what they call saving face. So when you hear about these Americans going over to Japan and kicking all their asses and they ain't nothing. Well, it's because the Japanese really don't care as much. And it's better to make you happy so you take the art and make it bigger in your country. Sure. So they'll take a hit to their name or whatever just to propagate the art for the next generation because that's more important because one person doesn't yeah. do it.
0: it, it the, the masters that I have and, and martial artists that I have had the, the privilege of training with yes. that scare me are not the ones that hit hard and and kind of prove tough. Yes. It, 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 you know, there have been, um, you know, I I I can barely remember, you know, maybe less than five times that I've come close to being hurt. Uh, in all the times training with Grandmaster Scott, he trains his students carefully. Yes, but there's restraint there. And and with the people that I, I have, the people that have scared me are the people that just barely uh you, you could tell that if they unleashed okay this could be scary but they're flowing with you so smoothly that they're 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 not breathing hard at all they're not sweating meanwhile i'm like panting trying to figure out what where this person's moving it, it, it's it's not a matter of and and i can tell that when i go to do say a a, a kimura or a, or any kind of of you know, arm block or something like that. that so they, they kind of flow with it and they, they, and they so effortlessly get out of it. It's not a, there's no toughness. There's no, it, it's not, it's not easy for me. Yeah. It, it is and it isn't. And it, it is a sort of an indefinable thing that you can't really articulate until you've experienced somebody who's able to do that. And it sounds like, you know, are that typical American brashness and ego, uh, that like, Oh, well, we're better. And, and they don't have the presence of mind to kind of go, Oh, he was letting me.
1: Well, just because it's just the way it is just the way it is.
0: In uh, d- do you have any stories or, or, or maybe, uh, incidents or experiences that, that jump out at you when you reflect on your years in Japan?
1: I got tons. Just give me a subject.
0: (laughs) All right. So, uh, was there ever a training time that scared you?
1: Um, for example, there wasn't a training time that I was scared at. There were training times that I was just worn out. Remember when you practice the way of the sword, um, I didn't practice in any dojo. I practiced at Nihon Taeku Daigaku the prim- pristine or premier or the bestest um, kendo college in Japan. And I was personally taken under the wing by the headmaster, Abe Sensei, who was there from 1955 to 85. And uh, remember when uh, MacArthur came in and said, no more kendo, no more of this kamikaze stuff, and they stopped right. it all? Then about eight or ten years later, they started it all again? Well, the university sure. I went to was like a version of, of uh, hold on, hold on, West Point. And then MacArthur okay. came in and says, no more West Point. Then they changed the name to uh, a university for sports a little bit more. And they kept it there. They just said a sport instead. So my teacher from 1955 just taught that way. So ask me the question
0: again. So <laughs> you you're, I was asking you originally if there was a training time that scared you, but yes. it sounds like it was a time that, well, that wore you out it, or that it, where you were worn out.
1: Well, remember, since I said that before, you gotta imagine that. You gotta go with the flow. You can't be independent. You gotta go with the crowd. And the crowd works right. out six days a week from six in the morning till about five thirty to seven in the evening. And on Sundays is tournament. If you take anything away from that, you are not a real Kendall student. And the old masters, there's three things back in that day. Kendall, whiskey, tobacco. Anything past that you don't need. <laughs> just the way it is. Now, I can honestly say that I was sucking down a couple of gallons of water a day just because you work out so hard. More right, sweat so much yeah. oh, is is hard on you. Moreover, that they don't hit soft, they hit at real speed in real time, which means that you get hit at, you get hit with a bamboo sword with the snap and everything in there. So the things I had to worry about was staying healthy and not wearing my out mm. so, myself out too much. So I would find myself at least every couple of few weeks urinating blood or brown because I was getting trumped, I was getting hit, I was getting thrown down, I was getting kicked, stabbed in the ground, and you hear my throat. It sounds pretty coarse. Um, I got hit in the throat with the tip of the sword so many times that it created a a scar tissue on it. And it put me in the hospital for like a month and a half. And with drip injection, I didn't even talk, you know, it put me out that bad. But then again, Hey, just had to wear a mask, uh, because it turned into a bronchial asthma. You know how it is a chronic one. Sure. So it got really bad. They told me, Dana, you got to move back to your country. It's going to kill you. But I just went along and, uh, then I, I couldn't breathe anymore, and I found out that if I, instead of taking drugs, if I ran about a mile, mile and a half, it started opening up my lungs again. So I put those together, and within a short amount of time, I was back on the floor doing kendo, but with loud kiai. So throughout Japan, I was known as the biggest ki in town. and that's The most...
0: And it's funny, I, I, the, one of the things that when I reflect on being around you and your students, yes. one of the most profound, like distinctives I noticed is how like distinctive your key eyes are, your, your ki uh, the key eye of your son and your, your student Tom, I, at least I don't yes. know how long he, he studied with it, it. You can hear them from across the entire floor. Like, you, you guys are in your, your area where you're, um, you know, showcasing the, the chambra, and then on the other side, I can hear, oh, that's Tom, that's Master Abbott, that, that's, that's Chance. Okay, because <laughs> it's so loud, more so than any other ki I have ever heard from from any group
1: that's the average in Japan because if you don't breathe well you you fatigue and if you fatigue you run out of bullets with your sword because you can't block you can't function as well and that's why it's made it teaches you how to breathe that's why it's called ki and in ki it isn't a big yosh, or a big uh, that doesn't doesn't mean anything there are short eyes long eyes there are crimson blood eyes there are you beat kiis because the ki in the lung denotes the strength of the cut in your arms hips and body because if i do a big huge ki and i'm shooting at a wrist it's like shooting at a rabbit with a 12 gauge shotgun where you could have just gotten mm. him with a 104 and it's overkill See how this starts working in So instead of people trying to explain this to you where you can't understand you learn to hit and scream as loud as you can from the time you're four years old. And by the time you're 30, you got it down. And that's one of the biggest factors. So when we're here in America learning, and let's say 40 years ago, you learn four or five times a week in a garage, you know, a couple of few hours a day. And then it went to three times a week. And then by 2000, it's a couple of times a week, two hours a time. Then it went to an hour and a half. Now it's an hour, 45 minutes once a week. And all the students, they can't get any training in because if they were learning French, they still wouldn't know how to order a beer when they're 25 even though they started at eight so what i want you to see is in here in america at this time in the martial arts we're growing a really long a real good bunch of um of coast guard people coast guard officers but there are no marines protecting us And that's one of the big things between the two thought processes. One is part of the Department of Transportation, and they're there to defend yourself. And the other ones are traveling the world, making sure shit doesn't grow tall. So that's how I want you to see how they Hmm. learn or the feeling is there. But Japanese are so politically correct that that stuff doesn't come from their mouth. They won't bring it up. Because why Would 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 you?
0: What's your – with all of the decades of experience you have and, 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 you know, with this perspective that's unique to your experience in Japan, what do you think could be done here? Whether or not we'll actually do it, I guess, is is another question. What what would we have to do? Well – Yeah, what would we have to do to kind of shift that? (sighs)
1: Get rid of the Department of Education that was made in 1979 by President Carter, where they started getting indoctrinated and changed that to the point where when you talk to a millennial and you have them stand in a position and you say it more than three times, they don't fall to their knees because they're upset with themselves because they didn't get it right the first time. That's one of the biggest things. Um, Having people just not talk about martial arts or just hear about martial arts, but practically applicate or put application into the martial arts and really practice it to become worthy of the martial arts and that's the biggest factor no one is worthy everybody knows a couple of japanese words like the old joke yeah i know karate judo uh, kung fu and some other oriental words it's gone back to that i know judo and i know kendo and i know karate and i know this i just don't know how to do it that's why you find these people teaching technique and how to hit somebody with your telephone. I get hit with a telephone. That sounds really good. And I know that if you put a smartphone and I hit someone right in the neck with it, it's going to be really good. The problem is with these people learning those techniques, their wrist is going to cave in before the, the corner of the phone ever hurts anybody's neck anyway. And mm. that's one of the biggest things. They don't have the practical application and the, the strength of practice to get there and practice those shots over and over and over again. It's like a lot of people hit Bob. I can't hit Bob because the rubber hurts my hands. Wear gloves. I don't want to wear gloves because I got a bone in my finger and it hurts. That's an excuse everybody has. So what I look Mm -hmm. at in the martial arts is I don't have schools of students, but then again, I'm not a business owner hoping that I can pay my rent. So I have to water down the martial arts to make sure no one quits. And if everybody quits, I can't afford the rent, and the, it's a big, huge, vicious circle. There,
0: I, I've I've seen it, and and you know, only being a, we, we we took when uh, when Grandmaster Scott left the uh, San San Diego area in December. Yes, um, we took over what remained uh, of the students there, and you know, obviously, right now things are a little bit different. We yes. have a, a handful of students we're working with right now. Cause yes, can't really openly keep a business open, no. but. Um you know I, I've seen in in art where we've had students that were kind of borderline well, do we do we want to keep them or you know, and it it's it it's it's kind of embarrassing. you know, so far, none of the students that we the handful of students that we're working with now are students that were that we would ask to leave if we didn't need the money. Yes, yes, um but it, you know it's a tough spot when your your main source of income is your students. You will make compromises in how you teach.
1: You have to because if they don't pay, you don't pay the rent. And then you got to get that crappy job because you want to still do with martial arts. So you're working a crappy job at Ace Hardware and you're trying to teach martial arts to 40 people when you need 140 people just to keep the doors open. And those 40 people, only 20 show up once a month. And it's becoming that closer and closer. The thing in Japan, though, it was part of the Department of Education. And if you didn't study, you didn't graduate with your diploma or anything else, like what happened back in the 70s. If, for example, I went to Arizona State, got out in 1978, just right Right. before I was going to graduate. They said, you can't graduate because you're one credit short because you didn't take a P.E. class. (laughs) <laughs> that that you know 40 years ago that's what it was now hey i'll do something with gent. Gen, what is it gender studies i'll get three quarters and then i'll be a hero you know so it, it, the school system is way different which means the people that went to school 40 years ago and the people that are teaching that went to school 20 years ago, and these new teachers now, they don't have the old, ah, old school foundation where they can draw off of. So they're drawing off of all this light stuff. Well, let's try it one way this way. Okay, let's try it other this way. Oh, Jaina doesn't like doing four push ups, so we won't call push ups anymore. You know, they did yeah. this. Uh, They do this. I travel all over the United States until recently, and I traveled a lot because I do, you know, that's what I do. And I go to all these schools and let's just say when I go to red states, They're way different than going to blue states watching these kids study. I was up in the northern part of the United States in a real blue city, in a really blue state. Uh, Let's say this is about two years ago. And, of course, everything was outrageously expensive, but the, the, the school owners was one of the biggest in town. And they had about, you know, 800 students in the two or three sure. schools that they had. Nice. And they were part of the school system where they drew off of the schools, you know? And, okay, so uh, the
0: school was kind of supplementing the, the dojo. You know, or Whatever, it,
1: whatever, whatever they of. were doing at the time, when I was doing my seminar with a couple of other people, we had 150 students to draw off of. And they were all colored belts. They were all, like, say, between 8 to 15 years old. No one knew between their left and their right hand. Half of them, I don't even heard, never heard a command. No one ever did a push-up. And I really thought that 40% of them were special needs children. That's how watered down it has become. Sure. You know, and I see that and I was talking to one of the teachers there because it wasn't his school or anything like that. And he goes, yeah, that's how they're teaching because if they don't, a parent will call up and complain and try to have you fired or the stuff thrown out of your school because parents don't want to correct anymore. There are not very happy people and they are vindictive. And if they can take a teacher and screw with them because they didn't get a lollipop in life, so be it. So I can see parents now in these days, I wouldn't want parents around my kids teaching because I can't teach them what they need to be taught.
0: And I see that too. Like I've been in classes where, it, it, it hasn't gotten to the point where I've ever had to say anything to a parent, but I have experienced where I'm, I'm teaching a class. I'm teaching, let's say, I, I hate saying Johnny. Cause that's the one we use all the time. Yeah. Let's, let's say Seth, whatever. Yes. But you, you know, t- you teaching teaching young little Seth and no, I don't have a student named Seth. Just hypothetical. Yes. But I'm, but I'm having him like, all right, you're, you're goofing off. Go ahead. You know, you were, uh, you were talking when, when sensei was talking, you know, my, my wife, you uh, you got, Ten push-ups, or whatever, or or you're doing uh, your 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 technique, and you're you're, you're kind of doing this, and and th- meanwhile, their mom is trying to coach them from the sideline and tell them how to stand and how to move. And I'm like, it, I, I've never at the po- been at the point where I felt comfortable doing this, but I'm I'm kind of like, well, if if you're going to teach your kid how to do karate, why are you have me here? There it why, is. Why, yes. why? Why? If if you're gonna teach your kid how to do, how to kick, then then why why are you paying me? Now, granted, I haven't gotten to that point because one, it's it hasn't been so egregious. It's 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 been okay because it's been with kids, sort of. But it's also been it that goes back to that compromise, even in my own self of I can't afford to lose the student, so I'm not, I can't be this direct with the parent.
1: <laughs> I can be very direct with the parent since I'm not there. The nice yeah. thing about it is that school owners love it when I come in because I discipline them the way you should yep. where they can't. And they sort of have a little a little smile on their face over in their office as they're watching. But I easily, if there's 30 kids in there, for example, we're still talking about all the sets. And see, right. there's a Seth there, and he's a blue belt. I'm not going to say his name because I don't know the kids' names. I just go blue belt, 10 push-ups. And when the mother chirps up a little bit, I point at her and I go, you want to be part of this? No, I don't say anything like that i just say 10 push-ups to her too shuts them up really fast (laughs) if she does 10 push-ups then she can tell them how to kick so that's what happens i then then i see say there's a group of 30 kids and out of that 30 there's always about two or three that are over in the corner crying because he had to do push-ups so you know what i say to him right i put him back in class and uh, they start doing. They do another little thing. I go, everybody stop! Everybody does push-ups. Why this? Yep. By Boo Bell I, watches. I, I do.
0: I do that thing yeah. too, where I, where if one person messes up, the whole class has to do it. Yeah.
1: Again. Now after that, I have them spar and beat the crap out of the little kid. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know, it's it's it's. uh I, I think that there, the, the, you know, I, I kind of referenced Cobra Kai earlier and yeah, it's Hollywood, you know, but I, I think that there is something to be said for having, uh, maybe some, some tough, you know, like, Oh, maybe you might have the risk of getting, getting a bruise here or there. Yeah. You know, you can't like injure your kids, you know, anymore, but you been in terms of making it hard for them for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That,
1: that, yeah. You can, you can, it's, uh, what would we say? You can almost choke them out. You can almost hit them so they don't bruise a lot. (laughs) But how do you think you got to learn? And that's the nice thing about Kendo because it's an inanimate object you're using and you just got to take it and take it from a to B. And that makes it really easy to understand. So you don't sure. have to think of all this internal power as you know, do I have the right amount of key or do I have the right amount of this? Or do I have a right amount of that all you have to see is take this stick and take it from a to B and scream like a banshee until you don't, aren't tired anymore. And that's the simplicity of it. So it teaches kids naturally to breathe correctly. It teaches, uh, young adults naturally to stand tall because as taller you stand, the better you can cast, the better you can throw technique, the better you can move, the less you telegraph, the taller you, the taller you stand. So that's how that works, and where with with things. So when you see people, and I know you've never really seen me work out, but the, the, you know, like I remember talking to June Ri back, you know, back in the day. Sure. And he came right over to me, and he goes, "You know, I practiced kendo in Japan when I was a little kid, or in Korea when when he was when it was occupied, right. and uh, or before it was occupied. He's an old guy now, you know, he died. Anyway, well, uh, yeah, um, he, you know." He, I looked just like him and he looked just like me. And that's what brought him over because Dana, man, you looking like you just came out of Japan. And uh, the movements are so, so tight that you don't see any any technique at all because there's no technique in swordsmanship. Everybody thinks they got to talk at third speed theory. They got to do this technique, a block mm-hmm. technique. You got it. No, it's like shooting a firearm. If you think about it, there's no technique to shooting a firearm, really. You've got to shoot a lot of rounds down the tube. And after a while, either you have it or not, and you'll become proficient and being a proficient Marine is good than trying to be some esoteric thing that is going to be a different thought than the person next to you because everybody's thought process is different. But in the martial arts, you must be cut with the same foundation called kihon. And if you don't have that kihon in your rote memory, um, everything else is just a new little story on some type of ninjutsu move with your beanie over your head with a straw in your mouth. No one will see me in the pool today.
0: <laughs> so for th- for those people who are still with us, yes. and I'm sure we got a few. Yes, um, and I do want to get into some of your other yes. uh, I- I adventures too. But I want for if for if there are any parents listening, yes. or any you know either parents or people who are interested in training for themselves, yes. What two? I guess two part questions. Yes. One: What are the types of things they should look for? in learning martial arts okay. and, 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 in a school and, or, uh, you know, you kind of, what's actually going to help them to be a better martial artist okay. or to help them to actually, you know, kind of make it a, not just a play acting thing, but something that will elevate the quality of their life. And then two, what types of things would be helpful or should they do to prepare or outside of that to be ready for such a, uh, an undertaking?
1: Okay, well, the first one is really, really easy. And this is going to be a different answer than you you think about, but it's proximity. If you're not, as a parent, if you're not close to the school, you're not going to get to the school on time and you're always going to be late or after a few months, everything gets sla- lax and you don't bring your kid on time. You should bring the kid 10 minutes before school starts so he can run around and play with the kids. But when you bring him in late, it screws up the whole class. It disrupts this. It disrupts that. So if I was a teacher talking to all the parents, parents, which means you Parents need to be a little better on making sure their kids are there to learn on time. That's why they have school bells in first, second, third grade. Mm -hmm. And they get notes from their teachers when the kids are late because it's telling the parents, get your act together. So that's why I want them to look for second thing on looking for something away from proximity is you got to find a school that, as I said, it has to be down the street. So the kid wants to learn it. I don't know if you want to do Taekwondo or if I don't know, want if you do baby JJ, I don't know if you want to do punch kick, but what I do want them to look at is half of the kids do it for a month for free. Don't put Mm -hmm. any money into it. Don't go into a contract that's going to cost a few years because your kids will never finish it, and you'll be arguing with a uh, one of those credit companies for years because you created, you made a contract for your kid to learn for three years to get his black belt the famous black belt, and they're only trying to get it one time a week and they come in late. So to make a whole long story short, if the kids don't get there on time and you spend a lot of money and you're not pushing the kids to go and you're a dream stealer going, Johnny, you got to do this, this and that. Can you see? Plus, there is so many other things that take away to the kids now. What I mean is, there's TVs, mm-hmm. there's books, everything else is happening, and be doing martial arts. You got to really focus to work your mind and body together to allow you to hear it, think it, and then be absorbed into your rote memory. Now, the second thing is being ready for it. If it's set into your keyhole and your foundation after your parents have taken you to the school and you got it down you actually listen to the teacher instead of playing, you know, patty cakes with the students, you know how that is. Then you start right. learning how to move. So if you're a kid, you've taken, you say you're a, by the time you're a purple belt. By the time you're a purple belt, you'll be able to jab a kid in the eye. You know, or an adult in the eye. So you have to think about it. If your kids need to be ready, they also need, then to go and take a fist class or a red man class or one of those classes where they go to a separate teacher that teaches women how to get out of situations. So, and they were dress up in these old red man suits and the women get oh, in. Oh,
0: you're talking about the big padded thing yeah, where you can hit yeah, them. And yeah, it, yeah, yeah. 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 And they
1: get in the suit and women, you know, young women, older women, I didn't teach my kids as much as I sent them to those types. And they learn how to do this in real time and feel what it's like to hit Hit real things and get hurt because you're going to hit someone upside the head with your fist as a kid or as an adult with no practical application. You're going to be rubbing that wrist for a week. So this teaches yeah. that. So away from the school that you're taking the kids to, maybe mm-hmm. once every six months, you have to take the children to a, to a place where they can actually use their hands without getting hurt.
0: So, t- so you said take them to a red man class. So the place yes. where they, you know, the guy dresses up in the big suit and everything, yes. and 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 they. Essentially, away from the school, right? Yes, away from like the a school completely.
1: Matter of fact, you don't even have to tell your teacher you're doing this because it's not their business. They're getting right. paid to teach twice a week, but on a Saturday or a Sunday, about every six months, you take the kid to this other class. So all the stuff he learned, he applies it. And if he does poorly, then the parent can see, or the kid himself can see his his own uh, what is it. Uh, poor points and what he needs to polish he can do the kid will do one or two things shut down like a millennial does when you hit him or be have the perseverance to go on there because one thing is for true it doesn't hurt any less when you close your eyes when you're getting hit (laughs)
0: hey i'll i'll I'll
1: say that that's true you got that i've been hit so when these kids they say be ready for it what should they be ready for the answer to the second question is easy know the key home know their surroundings know when they're going to get hit not to look away because it doesn't hurt any less and make sure that if they're going to really get in trouble Uh, they're in trouble and they're getting hit by someone that's much bigger than them. An opponent that wants to really tear them apart. You don't hit him in the shoulder. You don't hit him in the chest. You play that those Ridge hand to the throat, to the eyes, to the ears, to the soft tissue areas, because then you can take down most anybody. I mean, Dwayne Johnson, the rock, you hit him in the chest, <laughs> you hit him in the throat, he'll look at you and listen a little bit more, even if you're an yep. eight-year-old kid.
0: True that. Now, a, a sort of a connected yes. question for somebody who is an adult, Yes. who maybe they've trained before, maybe they haven't, whatever, Yeah. if they want to take upon this path later in life, What do you say to them? What's the adult version of this? That's a
1: little bit harder because most adults don't want to hurt their hands. And most people that are thinking about self-defense, they don't want to get their fingers hurt. So it's all about me punching something that's really, really boring and my fingers hurt and I'm not doing a click. I don't know what to do. Have them use a prop. Let's say uh, something simple like rolling up a magazine. You've
0: seen me do these before, and have and, them. Yep, and I've been on the receiving end of those magazines too. And I'll too. tell you
1: what: <laughs> what it does for women is it gives them something to work with that they don't hurt the hand. They can hold it. They can whack stuff. Start getting that experience because if they get, let's say, um, I got my uh, my magazine. What am I going to hit? There's nothing in the house. There's your chair with a high back or there's the tree Mm. there. You whack this and you whack that. The first five or 10 whacks, you go, my wrist sort of hurts. And they, as an adult, they learn how to strengthen their wrist a little bit. And they start whacking it that way. Left hand, right hand, go back and forth. Just with that, just a little bit, they learn to whack, whack, stab stab whack whack and just keep it down to just a couple of few techniques that they can take out of their arsenal at any given time at any type of the day in any situation even carrying groceries what do you do well since i learned how to take a magazine and whack people in the head and i feel really good about that I don't have a magazine now, but I know maybe with the same effort, my elbows in and everything, just stick them in the throat with my fingers. I might break a finger, but if I broke a finger in his throat, he ain't coming after me a second time. So look at it that way. And remember, most people that attack you, their faces on you. They want to smell the fear. You just make sure you turn it around.
0: They're they're looking for somebody to, to cower. No, they're not looking for somebody to fight yeah, back. Yeah,
1: and if you cower, it's like closing your eyes because the minute you cower, now they have a little bit more distance to come down with their fist or a weapon or a knife. If you stand taller and come at them straight, Oh, it's a different story. Matter of fact, if I was a parent or if I was a person, you would learn the strike before the no strike. Because remember, the best strike is no strike at all. Well, you watch for it. And the minute they start coming at you, you bridge the gap a little bit, put your fingers on their throat or in an eye. They won't expect it coming in and they won't be hard they will be attacking mode, but that keeps their body in a, in a, in a offensive movement, but not in a defensive position where right. if they get hit, they'll go down. And that's where the ki comes in. You heard me ki from across the room. So if you hit me in the chest, <laughs> sure did. if you hit me in the solar plexus, as hard as you could, yeah, it's going to hurt, but I'm going to get the job done and then later cough my brains out. And that's the difference.
0: <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, you, now you, gosh, I don't even know where to go after oh, that. Oh, this so is an good. interesting
1: conversation. Yeah, yeah, that's
0: good. <laughs> um, so like now you do other things. Yes. And we haven't even gotten into the difference between kendo and kanjutsu yes. or even if there is much of there a difference. There is a big I mean, difference. I, you know. Kendo is a sport. Um, so actually, well, I, I wasn't going to go there, but how for the uninitiated yes. or for the non-martial artist, or for the, maybe they're a BJJ practitioner. They don't know anything about Japanese oriented martial arts beyond what overlap there is with judo. Yes. How would you define the distinctive between kenjutsu and kendo?
1: Well, I want you to look at it this way. Kendo is about a 200-year-old art. And kenjutsu goes back thousands of years, you know, when they had a sword out. It was called kenjutsu. Now, you've heard of other terms, yaido, batodo, and all those different terms. The first term was kenjutsu, just sword art or sword technique. Real kenjutsu has the sword already drawn out. You got sword in your hand, you're poised and ready to go. Any technique like that is considered kenjutsu. Although when people like yourself or Scott or anybody else looks up the word kenjutsu, there's just a half a paragraph. There's nothing on it. It's ambiguous. But if you Mm -hmm. look over at Yaido, if you look over at these other arts, there's tons and tons of pages. I want you to look at it this way just imagine the word automobile they have a paragraph that covers everything but when you have chrysler or if you have a yukon or a porsche 911 then they talk and market all the different thing about that car right sure same thing with Kenjutsu is just Kenjutsu is auto, and all the other arts are just uh, different arts talking about it. So when people try to look up the word Kenjutsu, it's really ambiguous. So they take just kenjitsu, and then they say, let's just say I want to do seite series, iaido, or seite gata, or uh, toyama, for example. Okay, kenjitsu is part of that, but now you're doing an iaido that has a name to it. Does that make any sense?
0: It does. It does. Yeah.
1: So now, when when you do the difference between kendo and kenjutsu is, let's just say, five hundred, say five hundred years ago, when you had a pissing contest with another guy, you know, I hate this guy, he's a piece of shit, or the next, the next, you know, the the piece of garbage at the other dojo. Well, they aren't going to go at each other with uh, steel swords. That's only in the movies and. Yeah, they they can be really ballsy, and they can go at each other with wood, because a lot of them did, but what most of them did was, they used what is called a hatsuwari, and a hatsuwari, in Japanese, is just a piece of bamboo split eight different ways, hatsu is eight, hatsuwari, eight, eight splits, that's all it means, so you might have used one called a Shinai Bukuro because there's lots of names in it here in
0: America. Yeah, Shinai is what I'm probably more familiar with. Yeah, Shinai
1: is a way different instrument. So what you have here is a Shinai Bukuro and it's like a a bag, a leather bag that goes over like a a Shinai that's only about 38 to 40 inches, the size of a sword. But... The shanai is about 45, 47 inches, a little bit shorter depending on if it's youth or not. And I want you to look at the difference between a kenjitsu um, bamboo sword and a kendo one. is. Re- remember back in the 50s or 60s and even early 70s when you played tennis? You had a little tennis racket, a little wood tennis racket, and you beat it around. And then all of a sudden, they started making tennis rackets with bigger faces so you Mm, could hit easier. Yeah, I had
0: an old school tennis racket when I was a kid, and it was tiny. And then I saw them when I got older, and they were way larger.
1: Okay, well, the kendo sort of became that for the people that just weren't samurai, for the people that were almost a samurai, but we wanted them to look like tennis experts too. So you get an old tennis guy from the 40s, (laughs) but played on... Clay and grass, they kick the shit out of a new one now and not go away with pulled muscles. So you can see old school versus new school. So to the kendo players now, compared to the old guys back in the day, they go, kendo's made for girls. No one would ever do kendo. And that was really thought against up 200 years ago. So here we are back 500 years ago now, and say they have the Hatsawadi what I was talking about. So those guys would go together with no equipment and they would fight with a Hatsuwati and whoever got beat up first, they, that, that they'd configure that. So nowadays where you hear all these guys talking about, you know, ninjutsu guys, I'm a sword expert and I'm all this, they should get some Hatsuwatis and go at it. And usually within two minutes, everybody knows. And that's the cool thing about Japan. Because when you see people like, you know, sumo wrestling, when you watch sumo wrestling, they're standing in front of each other and they get down and they touch the hands on the the ground. And then you wait for a second. You don't know, when are they going to go? When are they going to (coughs) go? Usually it's between them and they decide who goes. Or if you see in kendo, they squat down and the minute they start coming back up, that tells everybody that I'm ready. So in, in Japan, everybody's always ready. Here in America, I hit someone, and they go, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. You know, let's do it over. Now, here in America, when I <laughs> when, when I take the Hatsuwadi or the Chambata equipment, because I have to use Chambata equipment here in the U.S., if I used a Kendo Shinai or a Hatsuwadi thing,
0: I wouldn't. Oh, have, you get, you get lawsuits all over oh, the place.
1: Oh, I would have been called everything. You know, so it, you know you really. For
0: those not in the know, the chambra is a, essentially a foam sword. It still hurts, but it doesn't do the same kind of. It's damage an engineered
1: a, foam sword with a patent that allows me to hit you as hard as I can, and it feels like you get hit without the pain or injury involved, which is real good. And it follows along a, a, a hatsuwadi. So basically, it is the two thousand or the, the the second the second millennial. Um, hot because if you if you can use science and technology you might as well and alleviates all the helmets and everything that the normal person would use hey yeah, you know it just works in nicely that
0: way yeah so um more questions if on kendo because <laughs> i go off on tangents here no it's good i like it because 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 here's the thing is People look at me and they go, oh, you're a martial artist. You've been training for 15 years, third-degree black belt. You must know a lot. Well, I know a little.
1: <laughs> I knew a lot when I was – when I had 15 years in, I knew a lot. My Japanese right, well, was so impeccable. Now I don't know nothing.
0: Well, my point is, is by comparison, right? Yeah. Like if, if you were to stack my years of experience as compared with yours – you got a lot of stuff that, that, you know, that I don't know. So I'm happy to kind of let you go off and, 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 and share these stories. And, you know, so it, no problem there. Good, good, good. Um, I, I, I do want to, uh, cause I know you've done martial arts has informed how you've lived your life. Yes. Um, <coughs> you've done like some, some marathons you run in the hot desert. Cause you're out there in, in, uh, in Arizona. Um, although I do want to share, uh, a, a story you told me, yes. maybe you can bri- bridge the gaps. Yes. So you have a student of yours, uh, Mike Armstrong, yes. who is, um, like me, yes. uh, he is, uh, totally blind. Yes. And this is the story that I, I don't know if I heard it from you or if I heard it from your son, chance that he came to your dojo and he was wearing a kendo mask. So you couldn't really see what was going on with his face. And again, this is how it was told to me. Maybe you can correct yes. me. Uh, and he was doing very well, and for the particular group of students, I don't know if they were new to to the sword or, or what have you, but he was so cl- geared in and locked into the patterns of movement. Yes. That he was routinely beating everyone. He did. And then he took his mask off, and he has he doesn't have his normal eye. No. You know, his, his eyes were removed. Yes. And to my recollection, he had... Custom prosthetic eyes that were solid black, and just kind of laughed at, and and had this sort of like he he enjoyed the 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 moment there, and pe- it, people were like oh. The, the the brain couldn't process what happened there. Do you do you remember the incident that or the specific scenario that uh, Chance may have been talking about? Oh, it happened
1: about? all the time. I used him for that. Uh, basically, we had tr- we have training, forty eight hour training in a twenty four sorry in a forty eight hour period of time. Our we goes to the we go to a school or a school owners and people would come to us. So we've been doing this program for about twenty years, and in its biggest heyday was about maybe 10 years ago when, when Mike was working with us a lot at that time and uh, say I'd have 15 or 20 school owners coming in and I, we train them for the first day. And then for the second day, I take them over to um, Mike's dojo. He'd be ready and he'd have his equipment on, ready to bang on people. And he'd just be standing over in the corner. And what we do is I would taught all the students the day before the different sword patterns they needed. And then I had them spar me for a little while. I sparred Mike a little bit. They don't know he's blind as a bat. And, uh, <laughs> and then I say, okay, now I want you to spar him. And they all sparred him and they all got the crap beat out of him because he just come down like a like a Thor's hammer knock him around, beat him around because I taught him patterns he did one to two to three strike patterns coming from 12 o'clock 11 o'clock and 10 o'clock and those angles down you don't have to worry about cutting up just keep it, go with gravity basically so he'd have those down and the movements were really really tight so anyway he just knocked these people around and then I would have those students. Now, Mike, he still had the mask on because they didn't see this stuff until a little bit later. And then right. I'd have them put on blindfolds or one of the you know things around their eyes, and I would have <laughs> them fight each other, and they just be swinging all over crazy. See how that sure. works? So they could yep. really see that even though they were experts on what they were doing, the minute you take one thing away from them, they're lost. And they just, what our foundation we created the day before, it just disappeared. So it taught them that they have to slow down their mind a little bit and think a little bit practical application. And then all of a sudden, when that would happen, they wouldn't swing. And then they started hitting their mark a little bit more. At that time, after they went, ah, Mike would take off his eye, take off his helmet. And we'd see white eyes, black eyes one eye with a smiley face a couple of times yeah, I, I, I love I love the the
0: fun time I mean honestly I'm, I'm happy to have my you know the eyes I was born with but I I, I will probably uh, you know if I ever have to have one of them removed 100 percent taking a page from his book and having fun with that well, the guy has fun with
1: I knew him know. when he had his real eyes in but they didn't work and they gave him such migraine headaches that yep. the day he took them out he said he never bitched again. Yep. Yeah. So
0: he yeah, started. I'm, I'm fortunate enough not to have those migraines, you know, and if it came to it, I'll, you know, cut them out. Yes. You know, I don't care. Yeah. But, but I'm, you know, we'll, we'll keep them in there for so long as they're not preventing me from, uh, you know, kind of walking around with that need into pop five Advil or whatever. Now,
1: I remember working out with jiu jitsu guys and judo guys that were blind. And I'll sure, that's you-
0: That's a lot more common. A lot of people. Ten, you know, a lot of blind or, or guys who can't see very well have a tendency to gravitate towards grappling arts. That that makes sense.
1: Well, I'll tell you what. If I uh, – uh, I don't want to get grappled down by Mike. No. No, no. no I'd uh, rather get grappled down by one of these blue belts at Megaton or whatever like that you know that have been yeah. training. But you grapple with a blind guy, he already sees it. You know? As long as they don't get two hands on me, it's cool. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you so you've done a couple other things and and we're, we're probably kind of winding down yes. but i did so i know that you 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 live in in uh where are, you, are you in scottsdale yeah, now yeah, or scottsdale, are you?
1: scottsdale. Yeah. so you're in
0: scottsdale now so um it's where mom is you you're you're out in the desert and yes. you, for a while there uh you were doing like mad uh like marathons or something oh right? i still go for long runs uh, Eight, eight uh, miles a in day. the desert
1: eight miles a day
0: now, have you you done any? Now, is that just part of your general practice? Because I know you said that was sort of what cured cured your asthma, or or what have you? Do you do have you done any like you know marathons or anything like that along now, the way, I, or I, any kind not of not
1: that much now? As well, of course, I don't do six minute miles anymore. It's just getting I'm just getting too old for that. Sure. So maybe I might do seven minute miles instead. You know, and uh, you know, it's like my birthday's next week, and I'll be sixty four if you can believe that.
0: And you're still training, just you know, I I, I challenge most guys because I I just turned 40 this year. Yes. I challenge most guys my age to to kind of put in the amount of training that you still do. Well and they'd probably collapse. They would, they would. (laughs) Most of them.
1: Here's how it was explained to me. All my kendo, kenjutsu, jukendo, Bato Stu teachers—they all were World War II vets. Figure that, and sure. uh, it creates—it's—it's it's way different, and they, they just teach you a lot different. Uh, I was going somewhere with this, and I forgot.
0: We're, we're, well, you're talking about how you know the comparison between guys my age, most guys my age. Oh yes, now I remember. Now compa- I w- remember. Wouldn't be able to ha- yes. hang in there with you at all. Well,
1: they were all about sixty-five years old at the time when I met them when I was about twenty-eight. 30, somewhere around there. And those guys, God, I'm still losing my train of thought on that. Say the question one more time.
0: Okay. So, so essentially like by comparison, you know, you said you just turn in 60. Yes.
1: So anyway, if you look at it through the Japanese point thought is eight years is a section of time, eight times eight is 64. So as 64 years old as a martial artist, Your prime was at 36 basically in your mid thirties, but at 64, you should look the exact same you were when you were 36, less a few years to be consistent, to take you into your nineties. So Mm -hmm. that was the more emphasis put on me in the last years are, you learn how to kick butt, you learn how to take a punch, but then you start learning how to live a long age and be a lot older and still kick butt too, if that makes any sense. So now I'm at the age 64, the eight eights, where I'm at my prime as an instructor, because Mm -hmm. as an instructor now, my job is I'm the teacher. You're the student. If you can't hit me correctly, who can you hit correctly? So I still got to get beat up a lot. Cause if you can't hit sure. me with good tension, no one can tell them how. So look at that. Now I've been working with my peers and you know, people here in America, they bitch and moan or they they can myth about, they'll myth about Superman if they can, what a crappy looking cape, but they bitch and moan. And over the years, I hear all these people bragging about how great they are and how good they do and the belt rankings and they're all so and they're all these big, huge Japanese terms that they can't even pronounce. And then all of a sudden <laughs> I see him at 50 and I'm 64 and they look twice my age and twice my girth. So this is what happens. They're they they they're really good naturals when they're in their 20s and their 30s, but they mm-hmm. don't continue like true, traditional Japanese martial artists until they're at their prime at 64, because at 64, you got another 35 years in you. And that's why sure. all the old Japanese masters, you can see them. They're 75, 80, 90 years old. They walk into the dojo and they're all, you know, drooped, and a little crappy looking. But the minute they put on that helmet, they are a brisk six foot two. They're hitting. They're hitting so well, honed like a dragon from hell. They're, they're, and then they take off the mask. They're an old guy again. So the traditional aspects of swordsmanship and traditional martial arts done correctly throughout your life doesn't give you a title you don't need a title they see it from across the room and that's mm. why in kendo and in a lot of the martial arts in japan you don't see any belt ranks belts are made for girls
0: right you're you're wearing, you're wearing the 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 hakima uh, yeah and, and you're you know, wearing the you wear a dress yeah, there's no yeah no belts may, maybe you might wear a different colored kimono because yeah. of to denote your station but that's about the the That's about it. That's
1: the only difference, you know, because people know you or from across the room, you're standing taller than anybody else or your key eyes louder than everybody else's. So (laughs) look at it that way, because if you stand out in the crowd that way, you must look and be a leader that has something to say that will help benefit everybody in life, and it goes back to the martial arts was made for that—to that not only better yourself but the people around you. And if there's any a bull, ever a bully, because there are everywhere, you nip it in the bud and make them become non-bullies or make them see the light too to become one with the sun. You know, hey.
0: <laughs> Is there is there any kind of parting thoughts or, or things you'd like to impart, whether martial arts related or not, that you think that our listeners should hear from from your experience or otherwise? Mm. Well, I know that's a, that's a and I know I'm opening the door wide open, um, but it I, I, it doesn't matter to me. Well, let's see
1: this this coronavirus. Which I don't really believe that much of, you know, the first month or so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I live in a hacienda. So I withdrew myself from society. So I haven't really seen any people because I don't leave the house. I can go two or three weeks without seeing people um, unless they come over. So for me, this has been a nice vacation. But for the average person I see on, on YouTube or I see here and there, everybody's gained about 40 pounds. Everybody watches the TV and is being indoctrinated on. Don't do this. You can do it later. Don't worry about this. You know, you might, you might do that. Whatever type of stuff that brow beats them down a little bit. Make sure turn off the frickin' TV. Turn off the radio, look at a white wall and practice staring at the wall with nothing else besides your head screaming at you and start doing keyhole that way. You'll find out that a few pounds later or if you can't do that, put yourself on a bicycle that's stationary staring at a white wall or 12 o'clock at night. If you're one of that type of person with no lights on at all and just pedal to your dead. Things like that. So all Mm -hmm. the people out there, if they stay consistently healthy, because I see in so many well-known martial artists that we all know is they're Mm -hmm. all on diets. Every time I look at them, they're going, I'm dropping down 30 pounds. I'm up to 210. I'm getting back down 180. I haven't changed in my weight within seven pounds within the last 30 years because being a traditional martial artist requires that you put in the traditional time to receive the traditional life of a hundred years. So if anybody wants to learn that, they should come to samurai sports.com or my other easier website, learnthesword.com, and start going at it. You know, we'll use a sword and we go at it. It's real simple. And they go, Well, how can I learn stuff online? Well, Say, say I'm a, a really well-known boxer, I can see most anybody box online and say, you know, your, your guard's down, this is up, that's down. So when everybody wants to learn the sound of one hand clapping, well, they got to learn their foundation first. You know, they want yep. to be told and they want to learn and absorb how to be a, you know, how to work with a force and how to be a samurai warrior. But they don't learn the first two steps on getting a foundation started, so you everybody, when your teacher says only do A, don't think it you're done with it and go to B, because you're not ever done with A. I've been doing the same eight katas for forty years. I'm getting pretty good at them. If I at as it, I would hope so after forty. But years. I'm not. I still suck at it because the spirit of the thing will never be a hundred percent, because it isn't. And that's why the old masters, they even say they're not good enough yet because you have to attain your expertise, but it's a lifetime endeavor. So everybody looking around and, well, I want to do this thing today. I want to do another. tomorrow. Great. Do whatever you like, but make sure that it's consistent and you do it. And if you blow it off, don't try to, well, I'm going to make up at the end of the week. I'm going to make up in two weeks. Just you got 24 hours a day. You can cut out 20 minutes. If you're doing yoga, do it for 20 minutes. If you're doing anything, do that for 20 minutes. If you're running on a bicycle, do it for 20 minutes twice a day. If you want to be really good at do it thrice a day. Same as with the language. If we make it real simple for the basic layman to learn this, is if I'm gonna learn French, I'm gonna do it once a day once a week for an hour, I don't think I'm gonna to get too much you know, done. But if I start learning 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes over a break, 10 minutes in the evening before I go to bed after about 90 days, at least my accent might get better. And just for example, how my Japanese got my, like my English, because if you spoke in Japanese, we'd have the same exact conversation is what I did was I read children's books Remember when you were in second grade, you read children books, you read books aloud with the class because it told them, you know what you were doing. Well, that's how you do it in the martial arts too. Like you do in a language. I read aloud even in my thirties and forties of those novels. And if you read aloud four or five novels in a different language, you'll start getting the patterns and everything down pretty well. Correct. That's why all Europeans know English. Well, because they read a lot of English. So same thing with the martial arts. If you do the same thing and become consistent, you'll be really fluent in that art or a smattering of whatever you do because you'll be able to combine techniques as long as you're consistent with them and they're thorough. So if I only have to learn eight katas over the last 40 years, most people don't have to do 108 movements out of 310 katas because you won't remember it. Now, I can say that if you do remember them all, you'll just be too busy and you won't be able to practice them because you'll be too busy sitting down trying to remember anything because your body can't keep up with it. So remember, we all want to be, what would we call, rocket scientists when we talk about martial arts or deal with it, but it's just a body thing. That's why my teachers never spoke more than three words because if they did, they'd be called history teachers
0: (laughs) well so well said i love it i love it and and that was that that little chunk right there is exactly why i wanted to have you on because you're not afraid to speak truth. Well, and speak, I, I, I speak, you how speak you see what it.
1: you see. I mean, when I was 40, I might, I might, what, what do you call that? I might, uh, you know, influence somebody the wrong way, or I might do this, or maybe I was too Japanese at that time, you know, uh, but now it's sort of like, I'm looking at these people that, you know, I'm the most biggest, greatest poobah expert, da da da, doctor, professor, all this type of stuff. And they can't get through a revolving door. You know, their, their hypocrisy is so big, it's at least 300 pounds of it. You know, or their hypocrisy is so fine detailed that they they got a bone in their hand and they can't do the technique because it will be so beautiful that you won't be able to see it. Hmm. So this is where technique comes in. I've sparred everybody in the United States that you know. And they've all wanted to do sword. And a lot of them are pretty handy with weaponry. But in most every case, when I hit, I'd let them hit and everything like that, but when I get a little serious, I get in there and I smoke one down the middle. You know, a nice Kindle shot right, right down the middle. Mm-hmm. And in most every case, I see their eyes open up a little, a little wide. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I saw it coming in. <laughs> You know how you just see that just a little bit of flexion because that's what you look for. That's what the Japanese do. They look that thousand miles stare, because that's what you look for. And bang, and you see it. They just lost right there. They saw that they just lost. And that's why they have tournaments. And that's why you hear in these old samurai movies where two of them come together and one throws himself to the other one's feet say, oh, you're much stronger than I, and they bow to him without even fighting because it's all in the demeanor, the eyes, the movement, because they see that someone practiced kihon from the time they were born instead of talking about it. Oh, oh de gozaimasu. So da yo, shinjutsu no lakuna <laughs> michi de wa nain desu yo.
0: <laughs> Master Abbott, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate hey, anytime, it so much. Anytime, anytime. And uh, so you, you just uh, make sure I give your plugs. It's uh, Samurai Sports. Is it sports or sports? Um,
1: samurai Sports, because that's what they said in Japan all those years. And I just brought it over to America, Samurai Sports, or LearnTheSword.com. Just go in there. Now, I make it really simple. Um, I wasn't charged when I went to Japan. I wasn't charged for anything wasn't charged for ranking. I wasn't charged because they saw a bunny, Energizer Bunny, you know, and and it was great. So in turn, I don't charge anything. You know, I know people that charge thousands of dollars. Well, I guess they didn't go to the Department of Education where it was made for everybody. So my stuff is fairly reasonable. It's a dollar a day. Can't get any easier than
0: that. Pretty reasonable. So if, if you guys are sitting at home, you've been watching Cobra Kai and you're figuring you might as well learn something. Uh, go check out learnthesword.com or samuraisports.com and uh, get off your butt and do something.
1: Hey, it, it's good stuff. I've never watched that program, Kobo Kaya. Yeah,
0: that, that's okay. It, it, it's in the, 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 the current popular consciousness. It's an easy reference. Yeah, but I know so. Marty pretty well, you know, sweep
1: the leg guy. And he and I used to chum about 10 years ago. He's starting to get a little old now. But I used to chum right. back and forth with him. He practiced a little bit of swords and he shipped with me. Yeah, he's a real, real cool guy. I like them a lot.
0: right on well hey until next time everyone adventure is a state of mind how you live it is up to you